Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ornate Stairwells, episode 17. Uh, it's a movie podcast. Uh, I'm Autumn. I'm joined by Neve. Hi, I'm Neve. Yeah, you're Neve. Yeah. Uh, I only watched one movie. You watched like 80 movies, so <laughs> I'm going to talk about the one movie that I watched. Sounds good. Um,. Sorry, I got distracted by sports tweets. I'm going to stop looking at Twitter now. <laughs> so I watched Batman Returns, uh, 1992 film. Maybe y'all are familiar with it. Um, pretty pretty popular movie, I would say. Um, it's good. It's really good. Uh, I did a podcast about it, uh, which you can hear by going to exportodd.io slash Batman. Um, and... Uh, I only mention it because there are there is a stairwell in it, um, and at first it was very hot on the stairwell. I was like, "Ooh, this is a good fucking stairwell," and it's, it, with a little distance, I'm like, "Huh? Maybe it's not the best stairwell ever. Maybe it's not great." So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> people who have seen the movie, there is a scene where Christopher Walken. <laughs> As I'm explaining this, I'm talking myself back up into, like, an A+. <laughs> Christopher Walken enters Danny DeVito's, like, lair. Danny DeVito is playing the Penguin. Christopher Walken is playing the CEO of a, um evil corporation named Max Shrek. <laughs> um, and he goes into Danny DeVito's lair, which looks like a set from Nosferatu. <laughs> And he starts waving a fish in Danny DeVito's face (laughs) and coaxes Danny DeVito into coming down the spiral staircase. Um, And at the bottom of this spiral staircase is like the set um, from Taxi Driver where um, that woman that Travis Bickle is interested in um, is like doing um like the campaign for like the mayor of new york or the president or whatever it's like yeah it's like a campaign office from like a you know late 70s early 80s movie um and it's very striking it's a good spiral staircase um it's hilarious this is also um in this scene um as he's trying to convince danny devito to run for mayor this is where uh as they're standing on the steps, um, this is where Christopher Walken says to Danny DeVito, unlimited poontang. <laughs> Which is the funniest thing that anybody's ever said in a movie. <laughs> um, but I gave it a B because I feel like Tim Burton can do better. Um... I feel like he has it within him to do better. Yeah. Uh, so, because, you know, he is a renowned director. Um, and I just feel he could do better. So I gave it a B. But I also, because of the... <laughs> I think because of Unlimited Poontang, I'm bumping this up to an A-. <laughs> did you just I accidentally did, I... delete the Hour of the Wolf grade? No, I never gave Hour of the Wolf a grade because oh, okay. I don't believe there was any stairwells in it, but also I was falling asleep for the last 20 minutes of the movie, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, we can put in, like, exempt. Oh. 
I should put in. I should put in the uh, Swedish title Vargtimen. Yeah, you should. Uh, what the hell are you doing? Fucking up your spreadsheet. That's what I'm doing. Um. Shall I talk uh, about? I like my movies, or you should. I just wanted to say last thing. Um, just in case listeners were unclear, I bumped. I bumped Batman Returns Stairwell up from a B to an A minus. I still think Tim Burton can do better. I feel like I don't trust him to do much as a filmmaker, but I trust him. I think he could do better, but I did bump it up to an A minus simply because of Unlimited Poontang. (laughs) (laughs) That really did it, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. Um... So I watched, what, four movies? So the funniest thing is, too, like, people might be listening and be like, like, oh, Neve, you know, maybe watched, like, two a week and we just skip. No, I watched all of this since last time when we watched Suspiria. I watched all four of these movies. And also, we watched Suspiria on Sunday. So I've basically watched, like, a movie a day. (laughs) Um. Anyway, I'm not going to do it in the order that I watched it. I just put it in an order that I think would make more sense. Because we did talk about cat people. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess... I guess it was one episode ago. Um, Yes. So, I watched The Curse of the Cat People, um, which I'd never seen before. And um, kind of went in... I I knew that it was, like, some sort of follow-up to cat people. And I'd always heard that it was, like, very unrelated. So I was not prepared for it being a direct sequel to cat people. Um, It is specifically Oliver and Alice. So, like, the the husband of Irena. um, And then the woman that he was cheating on her with, basically. Are now married and have a kid. I don't even remember their daughter's name. Um, But, uh... Yeah, and a lot of the movie is them being afraid that, like, their kid is too much like Irena. Um, There's even a line where he's like, sometimes I wonder if she's, like, Irena's kid. And it's just like, that logistically does not make sense. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) it, it was interesting because of how much you can, like, especially reading Cat People the way that we did and the way that I think a lot of people do. There's a lot that can be said about how this movie seems to be talking about anxieties that, like, parents would then have around their kid being gay. Um, Because so much of it is like, oh, she's, like, a weird child. Like, the other kids don't want to play with her. Um, She seems, like, too involved in her fantasies and, like, not enough in touch with reality. Um, She goes to this, like, weird old... Uh, house where she's not supposed to go because it's just like this older woman who lives with a younger woman there Um, and they say that it's her daughter but then she's like she's not my daughter she's an imposter which is definitely just something that you would say if you're fighting with your lesbian lover Um, and yeah it's just a like there's a bunch of stuff in there that like feels like it could be going towards something Um, the biggest being and this is the, the main stairwell in it um, mm-hmm. there's actually multiple, like, so I think I gave this, I'm actually going to bump this up to an A plus. Um, I think that there, there are multiple stairs. Um, there's ones that are in the old house and the, the younger woman who lives there, um, will like go up and down the stairs. Um, 
and look over her shoulder menacingly at the the little girl. Um, those are just great shots. Uh, but then also there's the stairwell that it, or like the, the set of stairs that exists in the house where um, Oliver and Alice live. Um, and there's one like longer scene where they're slowly walking up the stairs where, so one of the things is that um, Alice gets a ring from the, the old woman who lives in this house. And it's supposedly like some wa- ring where if you uh, wish on it, then like that wish will come true. Um, and so presumably she wishes for a friend and then she starts seeing Irena as like a, a specter. Um, that's like her invisible friend that she's playing with. Um, and eventually towards the end of the film, like Oliver and Alice, uh, the little girl, like their daughter sees a photo of Irena and is like, Oh, that's my friend. That's like the friend that I, you know, and playing with or whatever. And they're like, what do you mean? She like died before you were born. Um, and so then goes out and is like, can you tell me if you can see Irena? And there's like the ghost or whatever of Irena that the, the girl can see. And so she keeps like insisting, yes, she can see the, the ghost of his dead lesbian wife. Um, (laughs) And he's like, if I'm going to ask you one more time, and if you say that you can still see her, then like, basically you're going to be punished. Um, and she still says like, no, I can see her, even though Irena's like, shh, like be quiet. Um, and so then it's this shot of them like slowly walking up the stairs where he's presumably going to like hit her or whatever. Um, it's like commented on that they never do this type of punishment. It's the only time it's happened. Um, but they don't show any of it, but, um, and so that, like, all of that just feels like very intensely, um, could be talking about something about like gay children or like queer children. Um, but I feel like it doesn't quite get like interesting enough with it. It doesn't like do something with it in the way that the first movie felt like it was actually touching on something. Um, so Mm -hmm. overall I felt like it was a weaker movie um it's also just like not quite as well shot and um like they just don't play with shadows in the same way that they did in cat people um Mm -hmm. so i don't know like i don't think it would be one that we would watch for this podcast in the same way that cat people is one that i wanted to watch um and like actually talk more about but i feel good just doing this but um yeah yeah so, but it, it was interesting. Um, and again, I just really did not expect that it was like, no, literally it's Oliver and <laughs> Alice are the main characters. Although they've moved to the suburbs. That's part of it too. Um, anyway, I also watched the 1982 remake of Cat People, uh, which when I last watched, I think was in maybe middle school, if not high school. Um, I watched a lot of movies that I probably should not have been watching at the age that I was because I was the youngest of five. Um, and this is one of them. And I forgot how incestuous it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it one. It's it's a very 80s movie. Like it feels very 80s just in the way that they like stage scenes and the way that dialogue happens. Um Oh, by the way, Curse of the Cat People, I gave an A+. I forget if I said that for the stairs. Um, anyway, um, and also they they try to, like, explain so much 
more of the lore, like part of what is interesting to me about the original cat people is it being like, okay, it does seem like she can transform into the cat. And yet like, we never really see it in this way where, um, I feel like some of it can still remain like vague or like, you know, it, it has a certain amount of like, is this just something psychologically happening or is this actually, she can transform, um, I feel like they play in that ambiguity a little bit more in cat people. And some of it is just the way that they handle the scenes. Um, whereas in the, the 1982 remake, it's like, uh, so Irena, it starts with her moving in with her long lost brother, um, who is like adopted or something, or like both of them were adopted. Like they were both orphans. Um, and we just, throughout the movie we get like increasing lore about um how they're from like this race of beings that transform into cats anytime that they have sex and in Mm -hmm. order to turn back Mm -hmm. into a Mm -hmm. human they have to kill someone um okay except if they have sex with another person of like this very small group of species so that it is heavily figured as incestuous. Um, it's like commented on that their parents were brother and sister and then their brother and sister. And that if they make love, then they don't turn into the like cat monsters and have to kill before they can turn back into humans. Um, Mm -hmm. and, so yeah, they just like explain so much more about the mechanism. We also see some transformations occur. Um, also, so they still keep names. So it's like Irena and then there's still Oliver and Alice, although they develop the relationship between Oliver and Alice a lot less. It's more like Alice kind of just has a crush on Oliver and Oliver's like, doesn't really care about her. Um, and just really cares about Irena or it gets complicated towards the end but I don't want to like spoil the end of this one because I think we might watch it even though I don't think it's as good of a movie Um, there's still just some great shots of like blood and things (laughs) Um, but um, yeah so then of course oh and so um, Oliver and Alice work at a zoo and Oliver specifically like one of the ones who gets called in to try and so um Irena's brother like has sex with a, a sex worker um, and then is like trying to kill her, but then she escapes. Um, and then he as the like Panther gets locked in the hotel room um, and it has like bars on the window and stuff. Um, and so it's specifically like Oliver getting called in to subdue the cat and like take it to the zoo. Um with like sedatives. So there's like a lot around like sedating animals and things. Um, there's a lot more body horror in this one, I would say. Um, we do get a little bit more of the like psychology of if you are actually this thing and trying to deal with it. So there's stuff that's interesting in it, but it's also, I feel like there was so much put into like explaining the mechanisms and like really trying to develop out um, like how does the monster work in a way that like actually took away some of the symbolic power of it. And so it, 
it kind of just gets muddied and it's no longer like talking in a way that feels more interesting about like female sexuality or something. Um, and it just kind of like brings in this incest thing, but in a way that doesn't really make sense as like, like it's just bringing it in as like another taboo thing to talk about and not like to try and say anything about it. It felt like, um, but it, it is like well shot and some of the, um, it is interesting because I would say it's scarier than the original cat people, but they redo the, um, pool scene and it's so much less scary, um, because it's not in black and white. And so they can't get the shadows the same. Um, so, but yeah, uh, I gave, I gave it an A, um, mostly because early on there's a part where, um, her brother, like slowly walks up the stairs, I think to go talk to her. I forget exactly where he's going. Um, but it's just like, you know, him slowly walking up and it's just this like very menacing, um, shot. And then one of the next times that we'll see him, he's already in the hotel room and it's the, uh, in like a hotel now. And the, the stairwell is different, but is shot very similarly of her like walking up and going in and, like thinking that he's in the bathroom or something and trying to talk to him and then seeing the cat and like getting mauled by it. Um, and then there's this part where she's like basically falling down the stairs, like bleeding and screaming. Um, and that shot's great. So I gave it an A. Um, they, there's some other shots with stairs, but those are like the big ones that stood out to me. Um, and just especially the shot of her like screaming, bleeding, like crawling down on, like with her hands, like down a, a flight of stairs, um, was a very intense scene, and I think used the stairs well for it. So, hell yeah, um, hell yeah, hell yeah, that sounds kind of good. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably watch it at some point. It it was it was fun. Um, Sorry for sending you Eva memes while you were uh, talking. <laughs> um, I haven't even looked at them, but oh my my phone has gone into the good night mode. Um, mm. and so I don't get messages when you message me anymore. Um, okay. probably for the best. I'm going to talk about one more and then I think I can talk a little bit about the Suspiria remake after we talk about the original Suspiria. I think that would make Sounds more good. sense. Um, so the other one that I watched was Funeral Parade of Roses, um, or Barano Soretsu, which is, uh, 1969, um, Japanese, it's like Japanese uh, new wave film that is about basically like trans women and drag queens um, in like sort of at that time contemporary Japan. Um, oh, that reminds me of something, but I'll let you finish. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a very like this is definitely one that I think we would watch on the, the podcast at some point. So. Um, I don't want to go too much into detail with it, but I did find it really fascinating with the way that, um, like, I guess the, the, my quick thoughts on it are one, there's just this value of like, they are documenting to some degree, um, this actual like queer nightlife that existed. Um, a lot of the shots that are like in gay bars feel like they like people were aware that they were shooting a film there. 
but that it is also kind of just like that's the space and these are the people who would often be in it. Um, and it's very like strange and metatextual because there are these layers of the film. Um, there's sort of like almost, I would say, the film itself. And then within the film itself, there is also this like very loose adaptation of Othello um, that is kind of what's happening in the film, but is also like presented in ways that feel a little bit weirder or more outside of like, what are the rest of these people just doing? Like there's like, here's the Othello adaptation stuff that feels the most unreal here's like the stuff that is the main plot that is tied into it and is like supposedly all the same people. Um, and it's not like they are acting out this play. It's just like stuff is happening from the play, but it feels kind of like weird and out of sync with like the rest that just feels more like real life. Um, and then also there are parts where they will in the film interview the actors about like, what do you think about the character you're playing? Um, also, like, the main term that people seem to be using in this throughout all of it is the English words gay boy. Um, they'll be like, you know, when did you choose to be a gay boy? Or, like, what do you like about being a gay boy? Um, and they'll oh, say the like English words TikTok. gay boy. <laughs> um, but, and and so, one of it, too, is that, like, I, I feel like it's one of these things where we can look at it and, from, like, our modern perspective, say, like, okay, these people seem to be, like, actually trans women because they seem to be, like, doing hormones and things. Like, there's shots of people naked, and so, like, some of them, you're like, okay, like, you are, you are taking estrogen, I can tell. <laughs> um, but also, all of it is kind of in this way that, you know, in the 60s and 70s, I think, like, the line between trans and drag was was so much more fuzzy. Um, and, like, it, you know, it, it's very hard from, like, a modern perspective, I think, to look back at those and, like, very distinctly say, like, this person was cis and doing drag and this person was trans. Um, <clears throat> and that's, yeah. like, all over this is it's, like, people are talking about, like, a queer experience that is of this time in Japan. Um and so I say trans yeah. women as like a thing to help ground, I think, but also it's like, it is portraying something that's like very different than I think modern trans experience. Um, yeah. But then there's, I also mean, this like is a little bit of overlap. what we were talking about on um, uh, the hot singles that we did about transformer. It was, yeah. you know, like the difficulty of like, retrofitting current terms onto like people from decades prior. Yeah. Um, and this is decades prior and also like a different cultural context. Um, but yeah. And so they'll, they'll interview. And so like they even interview um, Peter who by all accounts, I believe was uh, like seemed to be from modern perspective, like a drag queen. Um but then is playing someone who in the film seems to be a little bit more tr like a trans woman. Um, but then is also talking about like, yeah, basically this character is just me. The one difference is like the Othello stuff, <laughs> the stuff that's happening with Othello. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I found it really fascinating with the way that it was like, um, 
blending like between documentary, like a more normal, well, like kind of new wavy fiction film. And then also this like adaptation of Shakespeare, but then also I think some of the adaptation of Shakespeare is almost tongue in cheek. Like in order to be taken seriously, this has to be like a a great tragedy, right? So we're going to do Shakespeare, but really Mm -hmm. that's the part that like we all think is just the goofy camp part. (laughs) Right. Um, So yeah, it it was a really interesting film um, and I'll probably bring it to the podcast at some point. Um, In fact, I know that you have added another film and I was considering either doing this one next or there's another film I'm going to watch soon and, and decide between the two, but um. yeah. So this was, I was going to um, touch on for, (laughs) I don't know when we started just planning everything out so far in advance. (laughs) I didn't mean for this to happen. So we've got all our Halloween stuff lined up. Yeah. Um, Then we're doing, Dragon Inn, Goodbye Dragon Inn, Pale Flower. We talked about that last time. Um, And then I... So, I just have become a person who just, like, follows a bunch of, like, film Twitter accounts, but not people. This is crucial. Uh, Other than a very, very small number of people, most of whom I know or are friends of friends, I don't follow film Twitter people. What I do is I follow, like brand accounts which is much better i think because i know that i'm getting advertised to and it is like a thing that i am interested in being advertised about <laughs> you know yeah. i don't want any i don't want any takes i in i don't want anybody to share their opinions with me what i want is for to follow the Criterion channel on Twitter and for them to say, oh, look at this new movie that's hitting the, the, the service this week. And I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. Thank you. You know, shit like that. So Criterion channel added um, some films by Doris Wishman, um, who is a director I was not at all familiar with. Um, and um, she, is appar- she was apparently in the 70s and 60s a like... Um, big time like sexploitation director like just like making movies about like womanhood and and about like sex and like nudity and like quasi pornographic movies like if you know people have seen deep throat i assume like people know that like porn movies were kind of just like normal movies you would just go watch in a theater in the 70s a little bit but not really (laughs) um they were like Maybe having people. a mainstream breakthrough in a way that they for like a very short amount of time. Yes. So um, they added some of her movies to the service and I just watched the, this little trailer they ran for the five movies. And I thought in that trailer, I was like, oh, this Let Me Die a Woman one looks kind of interesting. And then I read about it and it's like half documentary, half like. dramatization of like things people are talking about in interviews about like the lives of trans people in the 70s and i was like well that sounds problematic i'm putting it on the list (laughs) (laughs) yeah just just to give people some context um here are just titles of other doris wishman films nude on the moon diary of a nudist blaze star goes nudist 
Playgirls International, Behind the Nudist Curtain, Bad Girls Go to Hell, Haunted Pussy, Satan Was a Lady, <laughs> Keyholes Are for Peeping, um, The Sex Perils of Paulette. So, all this to say, I don't expect that this is going to be like a sensitive movie, but I yeah. expect the two of us are going to have a great time watching it. Yeah. Um, and if we don't, it's like an hour and 20 minutes. Who cares? <laughs> Honestly, we need to get more problematic gay movies on this podcast than we have so far. Um, yeah. Which is, which is why this is one that is like considered an early classic of like queer cinema. But so the other one that I'm going to, I've watched it before, but it was also, it was the last time I watched it was in high school. Um and it was a VHS copy, and I, I think it's on Criterion, so I'm just going to watch it. Um, but uh, Maidchen in Uniform, which is a... Uh, I forget exactly when... Like, what year? I think it... So it was 1931. Um, it's a German film about, like, lesbians in a... I forget if it's, like, a boarding school, but basically in, in some sort of school. Um is also like like to some degree is kind of documenting um like the some of the the queer stuff that was happening in Weimar Germany and then um is generally like very so it it's very anti-nazi although i guess an alternate ending was added to subtly pander to pro-Nazi ideals um, as, like, Nazi stuff continued to rise. So, um, you know, cover your ass, I guess. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it been a while since I've watched it. Um, and looking forward to rewatching it and also considering it. So. Do you want to um, move on to, I guess, Suspiria first? Or do you want to do House Suit first? We should do Suspiria first. I remember there was... Uh, you saying problematic gay jogged my memory. There was one more thing I wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> on the last episode, I believe, maybe it was the episode before, we talked about Daniel Craig doing this interview where he's like, oh yeah, yes. I totally kissed Rami <laughs> Malek on set. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I just want to follow up with everybody. I'm sure everybody saw this. I'm just enjoying it. There is a headline I've got for you all here. Daniel Craig prefers going to gay bars, and you probably can't guess why. I don't care what the reason is. I, dear listener, I don't care what the reason is. Um, I just wanted to just wanted to share my joy with everybody else. <laughs> Uh, I like this quote. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do the actual explanation. Uh, but here's just a quote uh, from Daniel Craig. It was a very safe place to be. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same. Depending on the gay bar. Um, <laughs> anyway. Onward uh, to Suspiria. Apparent, apparently, he got very sick of the aggressive dick swinging in hetero bars. <laughs> so he went for the literal dick swinging. <laughs> uh, 
Um, anyway, this is this feels like gay baiting, but I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm I'm having a great time. Um. Anyway, Suspiria, nineteen seventy seven, Dario Argento. Um, this is a a classic of Giallo. What the fuck is Giallo? Real quick, just explain this to me. Um, so, is this just Italian exploitation movies? N- no, it's so it's one of these things where like how exactly you define Giallo is, is kind of um. I guess to some degree, like, like it is, it is not really a genre in the sense of like, like it is specifically, um, in contrast to like American conceptions of, of genre. Um, and so the word is like in Italian just translates to yellow, which is like deriving from the term for cheap paperback. So it's kind of like just saying like a pulp film, um, if that makes sense. And so it's kind of like, it's referring to like, there's probably a bit of mystery to it. Um, There's like a lot of genre stuff that you can touch on, which can include like sexploitation or like exploitation stuff, which you would definitely expect in like pulp fiction stuff, but also like, thriller crime fiction psychological horror slasher like all of this but it's kind of just this like approach to making film that it is i think intentionally geared towards a little bit more of that like b-movie aesthetic and that like b-movie playing with um here are like things that might be a little bit taboo or a little bit sensational um and kind of like working in that space so mm-hmm. um but yeah it, it is one of those where it's like it's not a, a genre really in the way that like genre is conceived of in at least like american cinema um makes sense there's not like you might talk about some characteristics but i don't know like how much there's like really clear tropes to it um well <clears throat> But uh, like, excessive to... bloodletting is is common. Lots of blood. <laughs> <laughs> um, that brings us, I guess, to this specific Giallo movie, um, Suspiria, which I can summarize very quickly. Girl goes to haunted dance school. <laughs> there are witches. Murder happens. <laughs> yeah. The plot is irrelevant. <laughs> No one cares what happens in Suspiria. Yeah, it it exists for um, there to just be some like very stylish, like very aesthetic scenes of like weird violence or just other like there's that maggot scene. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I wouldn't call that violence, but just like weird horror stuff. Right. Um, it like at times seems to intentionally uh, eschew like logic. Like there's the part where she's trying to escape and then she just like it's literally like if you are um, playing a platformer and you just assume like, <laughs> oh, this is like Spelunky. I really hope that it is like 
this is a, a pit where I can then like go land on something. And then you go down and it's just like, just right out of frame. There are spikes. And if you were like actually a human <laughs> being looking at it, you would see it. But within the logic of the video game, you can't see that there are spikes there. And so you jump and just immediately eat it. <laughs> um, a girl just does this into barbed wire. She just jumps into like razor wire and just bleeds to death. <laughs> That's like, Two feet below where she is standing. Yeah, it's literally like right below the the frame of the the camera, and then it just like pans down slightly as she falls right into the razor wire. <laughs> There's no way a human being would not be like, "I'm not jumping in that." <laughs> oh my god! Also, why is there just a room full of wire, <laughs> just sharp wire? Why? With a window. So, maybe my favorite um, aspect of this movie is that um, for the most part, it almost feels like they made this movie backward a little bit. Because most of the movie, she shows up at this um, school and, oh, one of the girls has gone missing and she saw this girl last night, like this girl who went missing and, you know, no one knows what happened. Um, and then another girl goes missing or there's all these maggots in the ceiling and it's a slow build. And then it gets gradually scarier and scarier. It's quote unquote scarier. Yeah. <laughs> I was never once scared by this movie, but quote unquote scarier. The intensity continues to ratchet up until like mm. she sees the evil witches in the back room of the school and there's like a big you know climactic you know thing that happens as she like vanquishes the head witch you know and escapes from the school as it's burning down most of the movie is the sort of slow build toward that um I, it feels like argento um made that movie and then was like I don't want people to get bored, so I'm going to insert in the first ten minutes a sequence where the two main characters are brutally murdered. <laughs> there is this... The first ten to fifteen minutes of this movie are a total non-sequitur with the rest of it, where um, she arrives um, and is turned away at the door of this dance school and goes to this hotel... And, like, her and one of the other, another girl who I believe is a girl who is in the dance school later, spend the night at this hotel and are brutally murdered. Just, like, absolute yeah. sicko shit. <laughs> um, and there's, like, hands reaching out from windows. It doesn't make any sense. And it's it's super good. It's super gory. It's everything you want. Um and then that is never explained or remarked upon. She just wakes up the next day and goes to school and it's... <laughs> I'm like... Because it is... It's confusing. I'm... Uh, so... The synopsis here says... So the the person that she sees freeing the school is Pat Hingle. And she's one of the girls who gets murdered. They say that the other girl oh. who gets murdered is Pat's friend... That she flees to, who I don't think is Susie, but also you're just okay. like, I feel like I've seen this multiple times and don't really know what's happening at the beginning because it just is such like, 
yeah, it just like happens and you're just like, wait, what is going on? (laughs) And then it just immediately goes to like, and then here's Susie showing up like for the first day of school. And you're just like, I just thought thought Pat and Susie, like, I just thought they were the same actress. Yeah. (laughs) That's what happens here is that I just thought that that was the same actress, but I guess it wasn't. Um, anyway, it's irrelevant. Uh, this movie's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, it's extremely a movie where, like, in the, the first, um, sequence with the, like, murder, the, like, shadowy, shadowy figure, like, stabbing her and everything, and then, like, her falling through the skylight and the, um, like, you know rope there's like some sort of wire or something that's around but just like Mm -hmm. somehow ends up hanging her it doesn't make sense but that's not the point like none of this is supposed to make sense (laughs) um she's like teleported at some point because she exists in a film where you can like cut between frames and like you know yeah anything could happen (laughs) and so just it exists for you to have like these images of like being stabbed and like falling as glass shatters and like hanging from a noose and having the glass in the friend's body on the floor and stuff. Um, like all of it is just so contrived to generate these images that you're just like, Mm -hmm. wow, that's a, that's like a aesthetic image of like violence and death. That's now being shown to me. Um, (laughs) but like for, for no, Again, the the plot is so irrelevant to anything here. Um, yeah, the the sort of like the sort of like key to this movie is not like anything in the plot or like it's not saying anything about like fucking you know witches or whatever. She meets up with like in any other movie, the scene where she meets up with a psychiatrist to talk about what witches are is where somebody would explain like here are the themes of the film. Doesn't happen. No one cares. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the key to this movie is that uh, in the very first scene, um, she's uh, uh, what's her name? Susie is gets in this cab, and it is the most storming any movie has ever stormed. It is the most rain, and to convey that the storm is really crazy, and to convey the sort of like you know neon lights of like the McDonald's sign that she's driving past or whatever. <laughs> Um, you just get lengthy shots of Susie sitting in the back of this cab as they just like shine like red and yellow and green lights at her face. And it's, there's no point to this. Don't, no narrative is being conveyed. It's just, oh, what if we just shone lights on her face because it looks cool? What if the lights were different colors? (laughs) What if we had all this rain and then we shone like a purple light on the rain to make it look cooler? (laughs) That's what this movie is. Um, it's a movie that randomly shows you a shot of just a strip mall that's all McDonald's, just because that's a <laughs> weird thing to see. <laughs> um, I I just read this uh, in the like critical response section of Wikipedia for Suspiria. Um, John Stark of the San Francisco Examiner was critical, writing, Suspiria is mostly gore with little plot or intrigue. Um, that's the point, dude. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you know what I love? Gore, not plot, not intrigue. Um, I love when <laughs> I love when you open the room to open the door to the dance school, and it's these like beautiful blue velvet walls in the lobby. <laughs> We made the walls out of velvet because we could, because it looks sick. Um, I do. So Wikipedia, so Jay Haberman of the Village Voice, they say gave a positive review as well. Um, although he called it a movie that uh, makes sense only to the eye. For me, that is just a compliment. Yeah, <laughs> I love yeah, when movies what I... only make sense to the eye. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. Images uh, in sequence, <laughs> one after the other, sometimes with sound under the underneath them. Yeah, um, I forget if I. I think I mentioned this in the the Discord briefly, but not on the podcast. Uh, podcast. Um, have I have I told you about the first time that I watched this film? No. Uh, so I watched this when I was going to the University of Chicago to get my uh, master's degree in humanities for cinema and media studies or whatever. Um, and it was in a course about transcendentalism in cinema. Oh, you did tell me this, but yeah. please. <laughs> um, now, when I when I say transcendentalism here, they're, they're sort of like a broader uh understanding or or sense here there's like multiple ways that, that you can talk about this um i so what he was specifically working on was a type of it's not even like transcendental philosophy it was a very specific and like very short period of poetry like french poetry mhm and very clearly, it was just this professor who, like, other weird things about him. He always wore, like, white uh, button-up shirts over tank tops. And the button-up shirts were always just, like, too see-through, where you could just see his, like, hair and tank top. It was very bizarre. Um, <laughs> I did not like this man. And it was very clearly that, like, he, this course was he was writing a book about transcendental poetry mm -hmm. and how it relates to cinema and just using all of us as like his excuse to just keep working on this book and not actually teach a class. <laughs> <laughs> and we watched this film and then had to talk about how it relates to transcendental poetry and i was just like what the <laughs> fuck is happening <laughs> why it, it's the it's the worst way to watch this movie um it's a wonder that i enjoy this movie because watching that was just like <laughs> it was just horrifying um to it, it was the most like let's break down like shot by shot um like this sequence of like falling, you know, the glass breaking and falling and then like talking about like, how does this relate to like this one specific poetic form that it's clearly not even like trying to deal with. <laughs> and I'm no. just like, what the fuck is going on? Um, 
it was just a terrible way to watch this movie, to be honest. Um, <laughs> There's no, like, meaning-making in this movie. <laughs> There's no, like, themes. There's no, like... I, I don't know. I think it is very... Uh, it is unsurprising that in 2018, um, some different people were like, oh, let's... I haven't seen this movie. I have not seen Suspiria 2018. But I'm going to make an assumption, and I'm... I, I'm going to make an assumption that that movie is two and a half hours because it is, like, about the role of, like, witches and society and, like... Uh, oh, this is, like, what people do to, like, women who, like, perform magic, and, like, what is it, what what are witches, really, and, like, let's think about, you know, like, the Salem witch hunts, or whatever the fuck. I, I, I don't yeah. think that probably figures into it, but stuff like that figures into it. I'm assuming that's, like, the thread that you pick up on if you want to transform this into a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour movie that's, like, you know marketed at the a24 elevated at horror crowd quote unquote um that's not what suspiria is suspiria is a movie that features witches because at some point he's like well i i i guess uh witches yeah sure that's why everything's weird is because there's witches I don't think I don't, I don't get the impression that Dario Argento like wrote this script by like outlining. I get the impression that he like wrote page one and then he's like, okay, what happens next? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want me to talk a little bit about the the 2018 remake? Yeah, sure. Um, you are, you are correct. It's two and a half hours because they're like trying to actually do a bunch of plot here. Um, the biggest thing is, so it's set in 1977, um, and it's set in Berlin. This film was made in Italy and in the United States. I don't think any of it was shot in, in Germany. Um, it is set in Germany, but there is not a goddamn thing German about it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) And so basically the plot of it is Susie um, moves from Ohio, I believe she says that she's from, where um, basically her, like, mother, like, she comes from a Mennonite family, and her mother believed that she was, like, sin incarnate. Um, oh, God. And she moves I know the plot of this movie beat for beat already. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know it, everything that's going to happen in this. And moves... Uh, during what's called the German Autumn, which was the series of events in autumn of 1977 um, in Germany, where um, the Red Army faction, the RAF, which was a far left militant organization, um, like basically would be like deemed terrorists, um, kidnapped and murdered a like person who was an SS member um, Hans Martin Schleyer and, uh, you know, continue to, after World War II, like continue to have power in Germany, was an industrialist, a businessman, was like president of the German Employers Association and the Federation of German Industries. So they kidnapped him and they murdered him. 
And then um, some of the members of the RAF were imprisoned in Stamheim prison. And uh, some members of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine hijacked Lufthansa Flight 181, um, which uh, was a, you know, uh, plane and uh, were demanding the release of the 10 RAF members who were detained. Um, throughout this movie, there's like news reports happening, including like, you know, two members who like heavy scare quotes committed suicide. Lots of people believe that they were killed by the state. Um, so yeah, there, there was um, a lot of stuff going on. Like, Directors at the time were also involved in things that were happening around, um, like, there's a film shortly after about the events and everything. Um, so, and it, it is this, like, moment in German history that kind of relates in some, to some degree with, like, trying to deal with the, the generational um, cycles of, like, guilt and, and violence, the way that, like... There are a lot of people after World War II who actually, like, got to just continue to be wealthy, successful, powerful men, um, mm-hmm. despite their involvement. And so, basically, I, I think that they are bringing that stuff in to then tie it to what's happening with, like, Susie being like abused by her Mennonite mother for being sin incarnate. And then this like idea of generational guilt. And then it's tying into just a thing that like very briefly comes up um, in Suspiria. I don't even know if they really talk. I think they talk about the mother um, of like their coven. And there's a trilogy, like it's the first film in what's called the three mothers trilogy um, Mm -hmm. that Argento did, which is Suspiria Inferno and then mother of tears. And so in the remake, um, it's like mother, I'm trying to remember, basically it's like, if you, if you translate those words, it's the, um, the mother of fire or is it fire? I don't know. It, it's definitely the mother of, um, tears and the mother of, uh, size is like what superiorium or whatever it means. Um, okay. But yeah, and then it's just like, there's a lot more ballet. Suspiria is a movie that takes place in a like a ballet school, and yet very little of it is about ballet. It's about... Um, <laughs> I did spend the first 20 plus minutes being like, I think this is a movie about a ballet school, right? And you just, you know, not saying anything, you know, don't want to give shit away. I was like, just as stuff is continuing to happen, I was like... <laughs> This is a movie about ballet, right? Yeah. Like- <laughs> um, but yeah, and so then it it like is developing out there. There's so much more that they like add in, like when they're doing dances. That's how they like cast magic, and so there's all these shots of them dancing while their dances are like timing up to weird stuff, where like some person's getting like twisted and like beat up and and killed or whatever. Um, that's like time to the movements that they're doing. Um, yeah, it, it, it is like so much, uh, there's just so much plot here. 
um, mm-hmm. in a way that was like, I don't know if Suspiria needs this. Um, and the other thing is, is like, I for a while was working on, um, there was a period where I thought maybe what I was going to try and go to, to grad school for and write about in terms of cinema was talking about like collective guilt in cinema and like how cinema can deal with like generational guilt and collective guilt and things like that. Um, so this is like an area that I studied for a while. I don't know if this was actually that interesting to me (laughs) in terms of those things. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't want to like go into all of the details of exactly what happens because I don't want to spoil things for people and like exactly how Susie relates to everything. Um, but yeah, (laughs) the biggest thing is that it's just like, when I think of Suspiria, I think of these, like Suspiria creates a filmic space where Mm -hmm. it is not trying to recreate reality. It is literally like, let's just create these like bizarre locations, like these bizarre sets that people are existing in. Um, There's like the scene where they all have to sleep because the maggots fell from the ceiling. And so they're all in like the dance studio or gym or something. Yeah, And there's like a curtain and they're like, when it, lights turn off they just switch to a different color gel that's how like lights turning off works in this movie and like all of it is just meant to like look interesting this is trying so hard to like recreate um it's so hard to it's trying so hard for like what's happening to feel realistic like to try and like do interesting things with magic but have that magic appear realistic in a way that like actually hurts some of the aesthetic quality of it that i enjoy so much about the original if that makes sense yeah there's um like the original like because as we've been watching i was like oh i need to get a um shot of some stairwells for um the episode art and um i've been watching it just like three times speed and this the scene that i'm watching right now is like 30 minutes in and She's in, like, the nurse's office at the school, and on the left wall, there is this big red spotlight, uh, and on her face is a big orange spotlight, and slightly to the left of her face is a big yellow spotlight, and to the right of her face is a big green spotlight, and then on the other wall, there's a big blue spotlight. None of these spotlights are there to convey meaning or anything... They just make the scene more dynamic. Yeah. They just... <laughs> it is just more colors equals better in, like, the, the sort of universe of Suspiria. Um, and more lines equals better composition in the universe of Suspiria. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the closest um, that the remake gets to doing some of this, like, stuff that I I, I often think about films in terms of, like how is this constructing like a filmic space and like a filmic temporality? Like how, how is it constructing space and time that is unique to film and that is like different than reality? Um, it's part of what I find really interesting and exciting about films is the way that it can like make space make sense as a filmic thing, but not as a real environment that would ever exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not doing that in the remake. They're trying to make this all feel like a real location. Um, yeah. And 
the place where they most deviate from this is there are um, these moments in the film where it will go into montage of just like these evocative images. It's the part that feels like it is for me pulling the most, even though there's like plot that they are pulling from the original and there are like names and characters and relationships and everything. It's specifically shots where it's just like, Oh, here's just like, we see like from like, you know, just below the collarbone up of like a woman. And then there's like pig entrails or something across like her chest. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just like a shot of that. And then it'll flash to like another shot. And like some of this stuff relates to things that's going to happen in the movie. And a lot of the film situates it as specifically a dream space that's happening of like people having nightmares while they're at the school um, because it's still so concerned with like having to maintain the reality. Um, And that when things get truly bizarre at the end, most of it is still trying to be real um i think the biggest part is there's just a part at the very end where um stuff is going wild during like a a, um like magical you know ritual that they're doing um and it's this extended scene and as it goes on like it basically just shifts to only red lights um and like the camera starts doing like which when we get that to house like it does this as well where like you kind of get more of the jittering frames. They're like cutting down on the number of frames. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the part that feels like it's doing it the most, but then also some of it is just like, it's still situating it so much in terms of like weird supernatural stuff is supposed to be happening there. Um, And yet they are still trying to like make things feel realistic, even within the like, what's supernatural rather than just letting it get like weird and filmic, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, um, you know, thinking about, um, filming space and horror movies, like, I think like the classic example, like the first time I really like started thinking about this when I was younger is like finding out like the, the, the overlook hotel in the shining is this sort of like meticulously mapped space because, um, Kubrick had uh, more money than God and just like built this goddamn hotel, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, it exists. The Overlook Hotel is a space that exists and the steady cam shots are meant to convey like, here are how these spaces connect to one another. We're going to follow Danny around on his bike so you can see exactly how the space exists. And then... Um, Jack Torrance goes into, you know, the bar, um, and people have tried to figure out where the bar would be in the hotel, and it can't. There's, like, nowhere, there is nowhere in the hotel that that bar that Jack Torrance goes to could be. And then, even in the bar, he goes into the bathroom, and, like, the bathroom makes even less sense because the bathroom would be like intersecting with another room in the bar, you know? Yeah. Um, like this is like the classic of this, uh, genre. And I really love how Argento like also pulls this off, um, uh, in this movie a little bit because, um, and with a lot less money than Stanley Kubrick has. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um 
because it's a school and because it's a boarding school, we get pretty accustomed to like what the space looks like. And yeah, I, I can't totally figure out how like the dance studio connects to like the bedrooms, but you get the idea of it. Um, and I remember really early on, there's a scene um, where the director of the school or not the director, but she's because the direct, the directress is like the ultimate, like, most evil witch of all or whatever but like this lady who is seemingly in charge of things um tells a little boy who lives there like go upstairs and he walks out of frame and he doesn't walk up the stairs that are immediately behind him so i was thinking to myself i was like oh that's going to tie into the mystery somehow is that like there's going to be another secret set of stairs i'm like okay that's fun um and eventually you you get to like follow him like you get to follow back to where he would have gone because like the room he walks into like you understand is like that's her office and in her office her office is wallpapered by an mc escher painting which is hilarious <laughs> and behind the mc escher one corner of the office has an mc escher painting of a door painted onto it and it turns out that's actually a door <laughs> Um, and back there is a space that doesn't make any fucking sense. When you think about it, you're like, what part of the school is this? But it doesn't matter, because they're walking into, the, like, the witch's lair, and so, of course, it's a space that doesn't make any fucking sense within, like, the geography of the school as established, you yeah. know? Um, so, um, yeah, it's just, it's just good shit. It's just the classic horror shit, um... And, you know, uh, we we got this far into talking about this movie um, and haven't even addressed how it's super homoerotic. There's no reason for that. There's no, like, Suspiria is not homoerotic because it is saying something about, like, witches and female desire and, like, you know, taboo. It is homoerotic because Dario Argento thinks it's hot when, you know, these, like, thin wayfish beautiful like exemplars of like european beauty standards all stand around in ballerina outfits he just thinks that's hot and he thinks it's hot when they do that as close to each other as he possibly can manage <laughs> um this is one thing i i felt like the remake was uh in general less homoerotic but the very first time that Susie has a nightmare um in the the like dance school um one of the other girls is like oh yeah i'm surprised it took you like multiple nights most of us like the first like two weeks just every night we had nightmares um here move aside let me just crawl into bed next to you and just like <laughs> uh spoon you since you had a nightmare Natural. and i was just like wait what <laughs> this movie has not been gay up until this point what is happening um, and then it wasn't really gay after that either. Um. <laughs> I didn't know this. Um, uh, Sus Suspiria is partially based on uh, Thomas de Quincey's 1845 essay, Suspiria, Suspiria de Profundis. And I clicked on the Wikipedia page here. Suspiria de Profundis. Um, a Latin phrase meaning sighs from the depths. 
uh, is a collection of essay in the form of prose poems by English writer Thomas De Quincey, first published in 1845, an examination of the process of memory as influenced by hallucinogenic drug use. Suspiria has been described as one of the best known and most distinctive literary works of its era. Of course, this movie is, dis- is uh, you know, inspired by a poem about tripping on acid and then just writing down what you see. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't have been acid because LSD didn't exist in 1845, but whatever yeah. it would have been. This, that honestly feels more like a, a poem to talk about than whatever <laughs> weird poetry about return to nature that I was having to fucking read for this class. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll also note, um, nowhere in this is uh, there the mention of ballet. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing about this uh um uh, poem as far as i can tell that says anything about ballet <laughs> oh what's funny is even the wikipedia article for the 1977 film ballet uh, if you just click through uh it says susie banyan a young american ballet student and then when Susie returns to the school, she finds that everyone has left the Bolshoi ba- Ballet or left to attend the <laughs> Bolshoi Ballet. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, there's there's a if I keep going and clicking on ballet, there's a part where for the 2018 film, they talk about how um Dakota Johnson had to undertake ballet training to prepare. <laughs> no one in this movie had to take undertake ballet training. Yeah. I, they can all stand on point and walk around on point. They might have hired ballerinas, I guess. That's possible. But, like, no one was learning ballet for this movie. At most, they were learning to stand on point. They only have to do it in, like, two scenes. So it's fine. <laughs> um, this movie's incredible. <laughs> Anyway, I do I do appreciate that the remake tried to do something very different. Um, like I respect that more than just rehashing the same thing and doing it worse. Um, it's like th- it is a different movie. Um, Unfortunately, I don't like it um, as much. It is but... every other movie. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, every quote unquote elevated horror movie is exactly this. And, yep. and I like the Vich. I like that movie a lot. I don't need to watch that movie again. I certainly don't need to watch two and a half hour version of that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you don't need to watch a version of that movie where at the end they just say the thing that the movie's about, which is that uh, we need as a society guilt and shame, but you Aryan German man who was married to a Jewish woman who who died in the camps. Um, you don't need to feel the shame and guilt, so I'm going to erase it from you. <laughs> That's just the end of the movie. <laughs> I got. <laughs> Sorry I like to spoil earlier... the ending, but I like well... how earlier we're like, I'm not going to give it away, and then you. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's a lot of stuff in there that is bigger spoilers that I'm not going to give away, but I do think it's just very funny that like, that's the biggest thing for me is I'm like, okay, this is a movie that seems to be trying to talk about like generational guilt or like collective guilt. Um, 
And then it ends with, well, you were married to a Jewish woman, so you shouldn't feel at all guilty about any, like, generational or, like, collective stuff that you might have as, like, a an Aryan German man who uh, was totally fine during the war. Um, it's just a very weird way to end a movie that's trying to grapple with those things. <laughs> <laughs> I I will say this as someone who is um at this point se- seems to be you know a lot of this is just us piecing it together from rac- records after they died. Uh my grandpa was like an you know Aryan German man. Seems like my grandma, my oma was uh Jewish and then hit it for the rest of her life because she survived. Um so, and I'm just saying, my opa w- was grappling with, like, guilt about World War II for the rest of his life, and I don't think just erasing it is the solution. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was the biggest thing where I watched this movie, and I was like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> anyway. Um, do you have more to say about Suspiria? We have to rate the stairwells. The very we least. have to rate the stairwells. Um, I'm now just tormenting myself by going on Letterboxd and searching the term elevated horror. Um, <laughs> Why are you doing I, this to yourself? I, okay, I debate this list that I'm seeing because it's got like Vertigo or uh, Rosemary's Baby or The Shining on here. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking specifically for movies released between the years of uh, like 2010 and 2019 that are like quote-unquote artsy horror movies like you know uh get out or the vich or and i just named two movies that i fucking adore by the way like two of two movies i hold very dear to my heart um is 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 the babadook an elevated horror movie or is it just a movie that people like i (laughs) i like um this this elevator horror list on letterbox that includes a uh, lift a horror movie about an elevator um is devil on there yeah devil a horror movie about an elevator um dawn of the dead which i believe has an elevator in it um I've never and seen dawn of the, dead. the first resident evil which mm. I, I i guess since it's on this list must include an elevator scene yeah <laughs> um Two different movies called Down. Anyway. Oh, here's another one. Uh, this one has an actual description. Elevator horror. A list of horror or thriller films set primarily in elevators. If you can think of any others, please let me know. I'm trying to hunt down more elevated, really elevator-related horror. This is the kind of elevator horror that I want to know about. Um, <laughs> one of these is called Elevated. Um, one of them is just called Elevator Movie. Um, this one's called Blackout. Uh, this one's called Down, and it just has a picture of a man, uh, with, like, you know, bloody fingernails trying to pry open a, uh, elevator door. Um, oh, this one's called Hellevator. Oh, Hellevator, classic. Who could forget? (laughs) This one's just called Elevator. Directed by Stig Svensson. Anyway. Um... We should rate the stairwell. We should. I'm going to stop reading elevator horror. <laughs> um, so, stairwells in this movie. One, in the hotel where Pat is killed at the beginning. 
There is a gorgeous. So she walks into the lobby of the hotel, and there is this like beautiful, like straight out of uh, the cabinet of Doctor Calgary, like floor that is all like triangular checkerboard pattern almost. Um, yeah. And it's like black and white with like the magenta accents. It's beautiful. And behind, at the end of the lobby, there is a staircase that go that branches like a V. <laughs> There's like a V staircase going up, um, which will then feature prominently later as Pat's friend is like running down the stairs and screaming "murderer, murderer." Um, <clears throat> Uh, the other thing is that in the lobby of the dance school, there is um, a, like, you know, once again, blue velvet walls. There is a gorgeous staircase that has a gaudy carpet on it. Just hideous. Yeah. Um, and a, like, not golden handrail, painted golden handrail. It's perfect, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, naturally, late in the movie... Um, as she's like, as Susie is coming down from like the boarding rooms to like where the office of like the directress is, um, like she's coming down and being like assaulted by like loud noises. Oh, that's another thing we haven't talked about. Um, this is like a legendarily like beloved soundtrack. As long as I've known about Suspiria, I have known that people love the Goblin soundtrack to Suspiria. Yeah. Um, the the people the thing that people don't tell you about the Suspiria soundtrack is that the people in Suspiria can hear it sometimes, and if you hear it, you're doomed. Yeah. <laughs> when you become so- aware that the music is playing, you're gonna die. <laughs> but there is a moment as as Susie is aware that the music is playing and she's coming down the stairs and she's being assaulted not by like any human like no one's like chasing her with a knife instead she's being assaulted because like they're just flashing red and yellow lights at her (laughs) and there's a smoke machine just going fucking nuts in the corner (laughs) it's great this movie's amazing that's ring stairwell (laughs) yeah um i will also just say now here the the one for the 2018 Suspiria. Um so basically there there are like a couple that you see very briefly. There's like one that leads up to the doctor's office. Um the main one that you see re- repeatedly is the one that's in the dance school. But again like the dance school is trying to look like a real dance school. And so it's just the most boring staircase. Um and there's never anything interesting that happens on it. People just go up and down it sometimes as, like, a scene where people are walking around. Um, so I feel like they just didn't really do anything interesting with stairs. Like, there's... there's a, During the, like, big final ritual scene, um, Susie's, like, standing at the top of, like... There's, like, maybe, like, three stairs, but it it's, like, not even to the level of the stairs in Empire Strikes Back. Or not Empire Strikes Back. Um... Return of the Jedi, um, where, you know, we, we talked a little bit about those stairs there. Like it's not even to that level. So I gave it a D I was, I was not very impressed by the stairs in that film. Um, also since we mentioned the soundtrack for the 
1977 version. Um, soundtrack for 2018 is by Tom York. Um, there's some stuff that's decent, but uh, I didn't, I didn't like it that much. Uh, not oh. as good of a soundtrack, but also, sorry, Regs, I don't like Radiohead that much. <laughs> so there's two things here. One, Radiohead is not half the band that Goblin is. Yeah. Uh, and two, I like a lot of Johnny Greenwood, um, uh, a lot of Johnny Greenwood movie soundtracks, but I, I don't know any Tom York ones, and I, I, I feel like when I think about why I don't like Radiohead, I think more about Tom York and his, um, I guess I'll be generous and call it singing. Uh, (laughs) yeah, that's the thing. He sings two of the songs and I'm like, I don't need this in my movie. (laughs) What are you doing? <laughs> uh, the other thing is that it's a, a film about ballet. Um, and so you would think you would have lots of music when people are dancing. But like, importantly, when they're dancing, they don't want there to be any music. This is like a thing that is established. Like the the person who does a lot of the choreography in the dance school is always like, no music for this. Um and so it's just the sound of like feet hitting the floor and like people breathing, um, which is interesting as a soundtrack. But I feel like if you're like, okay, for all the ballet scenes, we're not going to use your soundtrack. That's really saying something about you, Tom York. <laughs> um, we're not going to use your music when people dance. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um. Before we segue into uh, House, Houseu, um, can I just tell you, you can cut this because this is only relevant to us, or you can leave it in because it's going to be funny when you uh, get mad at me. Um, while we've been talking, I was thinking about uh, the witch. Yeah. Uh, the witch. The witch. And I was like, I don't know who directed that. I don't know what else he's made. Um, and I clicked on it. I clicked on his Wikipedia page. And I'm like, oh, the lighthouse. I was like, okay, I know. Like, M likes that movie. People like that movie in general. I should watch that. And I scroll down. I see he's got a movie coming out next year called The Northman. Um, and it's co-written with uh, Sion. Am I saying that right? Sion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was just gonna. I was just gonna be like, oh. That's neat. This is I, I guess this guy was in the sugar cubes. That's kind of cool. And I was just going to tell you about this. And then I scrolled down. I noticed novelist. And I scrolled down. I'm like reading. What books has he written? <laughs> 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 and wouldn't you know it? It's uh, that book you've been telling me to read for like months. Because yeah. the audiobook is two and a half hours long. And I could knock it out in an afternoon if I tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, one of my favorite authors who did The Blue Fox and Moonstone, two of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, he wrote a movie with the guy uh, uh, who did The Witch, uh, and Bjork's going to be in that movie, apparently. Cool. Well, I'll pick that one for the podcast at some point just to make you finally experience anything that Sion has worked on, other than Looped Guitar, which I think I played for you once. <laughs> <laughs> also, he was not in the Sugar Cubes. He did one song with the Sugar Cubes, Luft Guitar. Okay. <laughs> I did uh, another thing unrelated. Um, on Twitter, we were doing that meme that was like, um, like, oh, pick a year and I'll give you like 
uh, four of my favorite albums from that year. Yeah. Um, and while I was Googling, you gave me 1988, and I was while I was Googling albums from 1988, I did feel like this was a trap you had laid for me to, so, to make me admit I'd never listened to the Sugar Cubes in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just picked it because it was the year I was born. Oh, okay. Um, for most people, I would think of, spe- of a specific album, and then that's like an album that I associate with them and then pick the year, not like not to necessarily even see whether or not they would pick the album, just being like, this is the method that I'm using. Um, but I feel like there's just too many albums that I think about. And so, and also the ones where if I did pick it, I would know whether or not you were going to include it. Like if mm-hmm. I did like, you know, when a Nico case album came out, I would just expect that to be on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. So yeah, I was just like, I'm just gonna do the year I was born because that'll be, it'll be interesting. Um, yeah, I have to pee. Okay, I'm gonna go do that. Okay, we're gonna listen to some music from uh, House You While I Go Pee. Okay.
I'm just catching up on what happened in baseball. Uh, what happened in baseball? Um, the Giants got cheated by the refs, basically. Like, just sounds like um, it was a really tight game, and then um, the umpires just like just kind of gave it to the Dodgers and no one, not even Dodgers fans are happy because it was like so clearly a bad call. Yeah. So. Hey. Um, oh, I forgot to mention the other funny thing is I was watching um, the Suspiria remake without subtitles um, and it's in both German and English Um and I made it a decent ways in because I understood enough German that I was like, oh, like, I, I'm assuming it's mostly going to be English and they're just doing a little bit of German at the beginning to, like, set stuff up. And then there's just moments of, like, huh, I wonder if American audiences or, like, you know, non-German speaking audiences are supposed to know that she just said, like, they are witches. <laughs> <laughs> and then there just be the big part is when it got to the first scene where they just like are playing radio of like talking about the German autumn events. Um, and I was just like, this is a lot of German. And then just like after that, there's just an extended scene of the like witches talking to each other in German. And I was just like, I think there's supposed to be subtitles here. And my file just does not have them. <laughs> <laughs> this happened uh, to me um because i first... i don't speak enough german to follow like extended news coverage of a terrorist event in 1977 <laughs> anyway this happened to me once where um i torrented a movie um x-men first class this was years ago they can't arrest me for this anymore this was years ago um I torrented X-Men First Class, and that movie opens on um, scenes of Magneto as a child in the concentration camps, um, where people are speaking German, and I thought it was the weirdest goddamn choice in the world for a big-budget Hollywood movie to not subtitle the, like, opening 10 minutes being in German. <laughs> I thought it was such a weird choice. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's my story. Uh, <laughs> before, because I was like 15 or something. I was, before I like was thinking about it later, I was like, you know what? I bet those were subtitled and there was something weird with my torrent. Now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah. Um do we wanna do we wanna talk about house? Yeah. I'm gonna put in Luft guitar here and then we'll talk about house. <laughs>
Given some silence for Luft guitar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. It'll make it easier for me to cut. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, Haosu, 1977 uh, horror movie. Um. Very scary. Very dangerous. Um. <laughs> just the scariest film that we've ever watched. Oh my god, I was just crawling out of my skin watching this movie. Uh, plot summary. Um, some girls go to a haunted house, get fucked up real good. <laughs> um, I think it's important to note that it's not just some girls. It's basically like a 1977 cast of Love Live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're, the, the seven girls are named Gorgeous. Okay. Some more light details. You really don't need much. Gorgeous is a young girl whose father is getting very suddenly remarried to a woman she does not care for um, eight years after her mother passed. And so these girls are like trying to figure out what they're doing for summer vacation. Their original plans got canceled. And she's like, what if we went and saw my auntie who lives out in like, you know, 
the the countryside and we she has this big beautiful house i went there once when i was like six so gorgeous comes up with this plan and the, the other girls agree we also have um gorgeous is the only girl with like a storyline to be clear the other yeah. girls are just character traits um fantasy kung fu sweet mac and um melody professor and, and melody and prof sorry yeah. i i find prof a, a unpleasant like mouth sound so i'm probably going to continue to refer to her as professor i'm i'm fine continuing to refer to you um as professor as well because so i'm used to saying prof because i knew a guy who went by prof um and was a huge dick to me and then a huge dick to his partner when they wanted to come out as non-binary so fuck him professor <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's just an unpleasant mouth sound Mm. Professor's yeah, it, much better. Um. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, gorgeous. Like gets them to come to this town, and all. Uh, also, one of their teachers, Mister Togo, is gonna come at some point. There is a B plot that is seemingly only exists to have something to cut away to, because it never amounts to a goddamn thing. Um. Wasn't really clear on what was going on with him. Yeah. Um. Anyway, none of this matters because it is the most bewildering experience you can have watching a movie. <laughs> um, remember how we were talking about how Suspiria doesn't really care about plot and mostly just wants to have aesthetic images happen to you? Um, Hasu was just like, hold my beer. <laughs> Hasu opens on like a frame within a frame as um fantasy is taking a picture of gorgeous um like and they're in the school like chemistry lab like playing around with shit and trying to take spooky photos um and then gorgeous steps out of the frame within a frame to enter the like larger frame that she was being framed by does that make any sense it doesn't you have to watch yeah. the movie to understand any of what i'm saying <laughs> like there are moments where people are talking and you get this master shot of like you know the auntie and gorgeous uh and some of the other girls just like walking around the kitchen and then instead of focusing on the aunt and gorgeous talking to each other by doing a very conventional shot reverse shot thing, they focus on these two talking to each other by in, in the middle of the frame, just another frame that is this like perfect oval around their faces <laughs> that is in close up. So like you have the master shot and then laid on top of it is a cutout of a close up. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot begin to describe what this movie is like. Like, there is no. The most impressive thing about Haosu is that by the end of the movie, I did understand what was happening because over the course of like 87 minutes, 
Haosu, like, dispenses all sort of, like, like, we all, we all grow up in a film-watching culture where there is, like, a sort of, like, basic vocabulary and grammar to a lot of things. Like, when I say a master shot, even if you don't know what that word means, I could show you one, and you're like, oh, I get it. And if you don't know what shot reverse shot is, I could show you, and you know what that means. Like, we all have this sort of, like, like these building blocks of film, and we all understand how these things fit together so that you know when you see a master shot and then you see, like, a close-up, you know that the next thing is probably going to be the reverse close-up, you know, these sorts of things. Uh, Over the course of 87 minutes, Haosu says, fuck all that. (laughs) Throws it out. (laughs) Yeah. Get rid of it all. All of it. Every last little bit of it. (laughs) And just invents for itself its own cinematic, like, language. Because nothing that you have ever seen is like Haosu. I promise you... (laughs) If you have seen anything like Haosu, it is because it is ripping off Haosu. <laughs> Nothing in the history of cinema has so, like, completely dispensed with, like, how movies are made. Yeah. <laughs> and it has its own, like, internal logic where I understood what it was getting at for, for the most part. But it's not, like, it's not normal. <laughs> It's yeah. not okay. This movie is very sick. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, when so I like to talk about filmic space. Um this is a, a film that is a, extremely concerned with like creating images and spaces that are purely about just the filmic image. Um mm-hmm. Things happen just because it is an interesting effect and it looks cool and it's just weird and fun. Um, Like green screens are used for some things that are kind of just there to make it maybe weird and unreal. Um, My my favorite thing (laughs) about the green screens, by the way, is that every time there's a green screen shot, I am forced to remember that this comes out the same year as Star Wars. (laughs) Yeah, A movie which also uses green screen and it mostly looks fine. Yeah, it's also (laughs) like it's weird, too, because this film does other things that I associate with Star Wars, um, including they use a lot of the same way that like star Wars did the special effects for the lightsabers to just do like weird lights. And like, like I think the eye glints were probably done the same way. Definitely the Mm -hmm. stuff that happens with the piano keys, like lighting up. We're done with that. Um, There are some that go beyond it. Like the, one of the, my favorite shots in this is the one where she's looking in the mirror and then like her face cracks and starts falling off. And then it's like, Oh, it's so fire good. underneath. Um, and it, yeah, it's just fucking incredible. Um, and it is one of these things where it's like, it is not trying to make it look realistic. It is just doing something that is really, really interesting to look at. And that is what it wants to do. Um, I don't think it wants to convince you that her body is turned into flame it just thinks it's interesting that you can cut out her shape from the film and fill it in with like footage of fire. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, like that's yeah. what it cares about is just doing the, the aesthetic thing. Um, a lot of this is like 
we've talked previously in the podcast about, um, I think there's a lot of stuff that David Lynch does um, that is, I would say, more horrific than this film, um, but that also relies heavily on, like, using digital effects and using them in ways where the digital effect is very obvious that it is like mm-hmm. uh, uh like effect being done with tape or something. Um, mm-hmm. But the point is that like that creates some sort of unreality that is actually like distinct from trying to recreate a real, like trying to make something that is unreal feel real. Instead it is like, no, I want this to truly feel unreal. That's the point of it. Um, this thing is supposed to be bizarre and like outside of realistic depictions of, of film. Um, I think some of it ends up being scarier in David Lynch stuff because there is more of an attempt to portray reality often and then things break down. Whereas this is just constantly unreal. Um, (laughs) (laughs) the thing that I, I I kind of expected this movie to be Suspiria, right? Like I expected I knew this was the weird horror movie. I knew this was like the weird horror movie to end all weird horror movies. I knew that. I knew there was like animated sequences. I knew I knew what House Who was, sort of, kind of. And what I expected, because how these movies usually go, is that like it starts like a normal movie. So what I was expecting was like the first scenes of them just getting ready for their summer vacation are just like normal. And then they enter the house and as they get more and more scared, like as the like sort of psychic deterioration sets in, that's when it starts to get weird. That's not what this movie is. (laughs) This movie opens on like, the stuff I've talked about, like the movie opens on- Frame within frame. um... Like- (laughs) She goes home, and there is seemingly only one room in her home, and what it is is a living room that leads out onto a balcony, and we, you the viewer, i.e. the camera, does not ever go out onto the balcony. Instead, you get a tiled glass, like, window between the living room and the balcony so that you're seeing like triple of any time somebody is standing in front of this tiled glass window as they're reflected multiple times and then behind that is a painting of a sunset and there are three different scenes that take place in front of this tiled glass window and it's the same painting of the sunset every time there are there are moments there within this first scene of the painted sunset there are flashbacks to another time where it's just like oh remember when you fixed like the sweater for me or whatever and then it is like flashing back to like just a brief shot of that but it's the exact same sunset they're in the exact same space (laughs) he's just wearing a sweater now and she's like fixing the sleeve it's so (laughs) and then the way that you know that his new wife is supposed to be beautiful is not that not that she is beautiful because she is beautiful but like everybody these are all everybody in this movie is like you know an actress like, they're all beautiful in this movie. Every single one of them. Yeah. The way that you know she is uniquely beautiful in the world of the film 
is that there is always somebody standing three feet away from her with a gigantic fan. And she's wearing these scarves that are just billowing. Every time she is in any shot, scarf billowing in the wind. Um, It's honestly beautiful. Um, It's so good. I love this movie so much. (laughs) One thing that it sometimes reminds me of is... um, like part of studying film involved me doing a lot of like film history stuff, which involved just watching a lot of old movies. Um, and there's this period of film where like, nobody knows what the fuck film is. And so Mm -hmm. like the grammar or like the, the language of film has not solidified in any way. And so people are just doing shit. Um, Mm -hmm. like to some degree, even something like man with a movie camera, which is starting to try to establish a grammar is also just doing shit. Um, it's just experimenting with like, what can film be? And also feels distinct from like, there are other stuff that was happening in Soviet film where I feel like we editing in particular, like they did so much work in terms of like, here's how montage works. And um, like, here's how like cutting between images can create meaning. And like, let's actually like spell this out. And that becomes like a, a large foundation for a lot of film. Um, and there are a lot of like early films where stuff just feels so um, like, it's like almost painfully linear. Like they haven't figured out like Soviet film is figuring out how to start cutting between things. Um, but there are also stuff of like, if you watch like early Lumiere stuff, um, some of it is just like bizarre because it's just mm-hmm. like, there isn't a conception of what film can be. Um, and this feels exciting because it feels like it's in that space where they're just like, why do we have to do it this way? Why can't I just fucking do this? Like, why can't I just make up my own rules about how to do the story? Um, right. That is, uh, it is like, I think I said multiple times while we were watching this film can be anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> It doesn't, it doesn't have to be 2018 Suspiria. It can be fucking anything. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Can I tell you, uh, uh, fact about this film that might uh i just want to get your reaction here okay do you know what american film inspired this movie no jaws (laughs) fuck off (laughs) fuck you so following the success of jaws toho wanted nobuiku obayashi to develop a similar script and in order to find additional inspiration for how to develop the story he talked about it with his daughter and she said that she thinks that films are boring because adults only think about things that they can understand whereas children think about things that can't be explained and so a bunch of her ideas made it into the film including things like a mirror attacking you watermelon in a well being a human head a house eating girls um 
things that she was afraid of as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Things she was afraid of as a kid, which included a large clock in her grandparents' home that she just thought was scary when it was really loud. Um, playing the piano and being afraid that her fingers would get caught in between the keys. Um, one time, I guess some futons fell on her and she thought that a monster was attacking her. Um, yeah. <laughs> this film Why is just... Why Ashi's kids so scared of everything? <laughs> I don't know, but it is incredible. Um, like, that's part of what I think this film is, is just, it is this, like... It is almost this like childlike horror of just like, man, what if, what if shit happened to you, huh? What if you were going to pull up the watermelon and it was a head? That'd be fucked up, right? (laughs) And then it flew around and it bit your ass. (laughs) Um, Do you know, do you know who your favorite girl is now that we've gotten to the end of the movie? I think mine is Kung Fu. Uh, I think mine is fantasy. I really la- latched on to fantasy as, um... She's the most trad wife one. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to... F- I, I just couldn't remember the word. I was trying to get to that exact word, and I couldn't, uh, get there. Thank you. <laughs> um, I really latched on to fantasy as the trad wife one, and then very conveniently, um, the movie does... Okay, well, I thought this was the ending, and then there was like five more minutes of the movie, which was shocking. But um, anyway, <laughs> um, fantasy crawls into the ghost of Gorgeous's arms um, as like Gorgeous is like half stripped naked, um, and fantasy is like <laughs> calling her Gorgeous, and then calling her mom, and then calling her Gorgeous again. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> um yeah what another like really homoerotic movie um (laughs) but not in like not okay argento i think is like uh, i think suspiria is homoerotic because uh argento thinks that's hot um I think this movie's homoerotic because, like, it's just what if you put, like, seven young girls um, in a house and made them scared and, like, yeah, of course, like, <laughs> nudity and, um, like, bodies are just going to be, like, part of that as you're just, like, free associating through a zillion things, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I remember. Was it was it Melody who is standing, and then it's a uh, professor who like comes in from the side, and both of us swore that professor was just gonna kiss her on the cheek. <laughs> yeah, just fun. Um. Yeah, I forget if it was Melody or I think it was fantasy. It was towards the end of the film. Um. Yeah. Oh. It's, a, it's a great movie. Great movie, fucking incredible. The um, I see why everybody's like a, I, I see why everybody is like this about this movie, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, um, yeah, and I think it's so like, I don't, I, I'm very interested in like things that are just incoherent or, um, 
Like, the special effects in this are intentionally, I think, trying to be unrealistic. It's not that the special mm-hmm. effects are bad. Some of these special mm-hmm. effects are actually, like, probably really involved to create. Um, yes. But yeah. realism like... is, not the perp- is not the point. It's not the goal. <laughs> yeah, like, they're really good effects because, like... Like, I think they get across the thing that they're doing, and I think they're probably pretty work-intensive to, like, hand-draw animation over, like, frames of film that you, like, shot, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I, for for me, like, that it will just always be more compelling than trying to have something that, like, has this clear coherency, um, and that... I'm not going to say that, like, I never enjoy narrative films, but there's mm-hmm. a certain part to which, like, narrative for me is not the strength of film. Um, I think, and, like, people can do whatever they want in whatever genre they want. This is not, like, me prescribing this is what you have to do with different, or with uh, any media you want. This is not me, like, prescribing what people have to do with media, but, like, I think something like a like written word is just so much more clearly geared towards like narrative forms. Uh, like if you're doing like prose, whereas for me, what is so interesting about film and what like both of these movies, but especially house does <laughs> really extensively mm-hmm. um, is just like, what are images that you can just create? with Mm -hmm. and especially film being like with material that is um to some degree reality like what is it is it is the process of like this whole you know um like reproduction and mechanical reproduction and how that like affects art and everything that like walter benny means writing about um where then like okay, what's happening when you shoot film? Well, like, the camera itself, there's, like, a physical mechanisms that are happening that are, like, capturing a realistic image of reality. Um, right. That are, are kind of, like, you can point it, but are kind of independent of, like, an actual creator. It is just a, a process that is happening as, like, light interacts with photosensitive chemicals that are suspended on a film. Um, And so then how do you take this thing that is like capturing some sort of sense of reality, but then through like the actual processes of the filmmaking move beyond like the intention is to, to maintain that sense of reality, but it is instead to like break it and to like show the way that, this actually is not like that this can be different than what like reality is. How do you, how do you break out of it? How do you like um, play around with it to like such an extent that everything becomes unreal. And this entire film is unreal. And it's what's incredible to me um, mm-hmm. is to like be able to shoot an entire film where none of it feels real. <laughs> There's not a single right. thing here that feels at all real. Um, and that's just fantastic to me. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> it's film. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to watch like, a play. I mean, sometimes I want to watch a movie that's like a play, but like, I can also just go see a play. Like, I mean, 
so I'm not like a person who has like a great deal of like experience with theater, certainly not live theater, but like, you know, um, I, I have not seen a great deal of like live theater. I did take some classes about like reading drama, um, and like plays for me reach even more in the direction of like when I was like, you know, taking classes about just like reading, like, a, like I took a survey course. It was like, here, let's just read like a couple gl- like plays that are like emblematic of like different like movements throughout the history of theater and the shit that i really seized on was brecht who was like it's just yeah. people standing in front of you you don't need to be that serious about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um these are just images uh, that we're projecting on a screen like <laughs> yeah like painting as a form that has existed for centuries longer than cinema is not often concerned with like narrative <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> um i can i can think of very few like m- there are painters who are interested in narrative i can think of very few paintings or like movements uh throughout history at least in like my very very like rudimentary art history knowledge that is mostly gleaned through living with a person who knows art history as a teen not through you know like actually reading anything myself no one's really doing narrative and painting because like images can be so much more powerful than like you know (sighs) shot reverse shots boring it's boring stop doing it yeah (laughs) (laughs) um movies can be anything and they don't have you know House is great. I also don't. I don't need every movie to be house. You yeah. know, like I don't. I don't. I don't need every movie to be as like out there as this movie is. But um, God damn, it's refreshing when they are. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I I think often I prefer something that's a little bit more in like this space that we're talking about where like some of it feels like it is more trying to touch at reality and then it brings in this unreality and it's like messing with it. Um, Mm -hmm. And yet like, it's just incredible to watch something like this and be like, okay, this is like, this is an extreme that (laughs) that you can do and that people don't do enough and that people don't play around with enough. Um, Especially especially with a lot of modern cinema. I feel like, Mm-hmm. Like, especially mainstream Hollywood cinema now is just so boring to me. Um, yes. Well, that's like the other thing, right? Is that like, um, we live in like a moment where, you know, CG could be this like exciting new avenue for like unreality in cinema and the only thing that people ever want cg to be is like you know pretend at reality you know yeah um and removing as much reality as you can to bring in like fake reality because um you want the actors in the movie as little as possible so that you can uh, replace them with your armies of like ununionized underpaid um you know cg artists <laughs> yeah uh but like people could make house with cg and that would you could make cg that looks 
hideous but like quote-unquote hideous by like the standards of like cg is supposed to replicate reality as close as possible you know um yeah. you could be doing interesting things no one does because it doesn't make money and you know that sucks wish we didn't live in capitalism wish we didn't live in a world where like art can only be produced because it has to like generate revenue <laughs> yeah Wish we didn't live in a world where the only people who get to commercially release films are, like, the people who already have money enough to commercially release films, you know? Um, this is my brain just going on an absolute tangent. Uh, this is not even related to what you're saying, but, um, man, I really want to watch Belladonna of Sadness. Do you want to watch Belladonna of Sadness? Yeah! <laughs> have no, you seen Belladonna of Sadness? I have not, but it's been on my list for a little bit. M keeps um, pestering me about it. It's great. It's an extremely stairwells movie. Yeah. I know we're gonna like it. So Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it three times, I think. I saw it once at the music box on the the big screen. Um, and that is a fantastic way to watch this movie. Um uh, what anyway. else was I gonna say about house? I was, just, another... I was just thinking about witches and uh just like wayfish beautiful women and things that are mostly trying to be aesthetic and not actually tell a plot, and I was just like, Oh hell yeah, Belladonna of Sadness. Oh yeah, the other thing I was just gonna say was just that like I think the reason that like you know, David Lynch does movies the way that he does, where like the unreality like builds and builds over time. You know? Uh um, yeah. Because, like, movies, like, famously, like, are just totally, like, the moving image, like, film and television dominates how people of the 20th and 21st centuries, like, think. Like, we all think in, like, motion pictures now, which was not true before. Um, You know, like... Yeah, it's changed how people dream. Um, it's or at least the way that dream. people conceive of their dreams and talk yeah, about their dreams. Yeah, describe their dreams to other people. I mean, we've been talking about it a little bit on Back End because, like, you know, um, Tolkien is an older writer um, and will just write things like, the hobbits walked there, you know, yeah. whereas, like, you get to Brandon Sanderson, like a modern fantasy novel, everything is a scene. You don't, like... Um, you know, the, everything is dialogue oriented and scene oriented and not about like prose in and of itself, but about like how prose constructs scenes, which is like directly comes out of like, you know, thinking about everything as a motion picture. Yeah. The other, the other <clears throat> thing, I've only read one Brandon Sanderson book, but the other thing it mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of to some degree was also like video games and the way that video games tell stories, which is they do break it up more. And like Brandon Sanderson does Mm -hmm. break stuff up more into scenes, but like video games require you to do everything. Usually Um, I, Mm -hmm. I find it fascinating. Like one of the things I like about older video games is that they often will break up space more, but like often video games kind of require you to do everything in a way that like you wouldn't even in like a show or a movie or something. Um, Mm -hmm. And for me, like the, the one book that I read was way of Kings. And for me, like some of the point was like 
actually showing the process that these characters are going through to like to really go from like Kaladin is at the lowest of the low to like starting to get hope and everything um and like actually walking you through that process and not just abstracting it out but it Mm -hmm. is like yeah for me especially early on it was one of the biggest things that i graded against with brandon sanderson (laughs) because i'm so used to reading stuff like sion where it's just like yeah shit will get abstracted out or things will just be bizarre and not follow linear logic they will follow like in the same way that i talk about filmic space i think there is also like a certain um way that time can operate in in books or the way that like space can become broken down um that just like wasn't happening at all on Brandon Sanderson <laughs> and it was just a thing that was like <laughs> there're just times where i was just like do i need to listen to this whole conversation <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and yeah some of it is I feel like it is a way of making films in particular. Like this, this is a thing that came up a lot in cat people's. They were stuff where I was like, why are you showing me this whole conversation about like what needs to be done about the Panther or something? Like, I don't fucking care <laughs> why <laughs> Or like Suspiria will just have like, you know, the, the 2018 version was of extended conversations about like, you know, how they're like looking for, whatever for the the mother or whatever and i'm just like you don't need to tell me that this is what you're doing like you don't need to have a conversation about this just show me weird shit happening <laughs> like right <laughs> well and so um, the, the thing i was getting at was like i think the reason that so many um like weird movies you know like suspiria like the works of david lynch start normal and then get weirder is that like because we all think of like, because we all think in motion pictures, um, like, it's, um, like, bewildering a little bit. Like, when you walk into a movie like Haosu, that from the very first moment is like, nah, fuck all that. Fuck yeah. everything about, like, the way that your brain processes information. Let's toss that shit out the window. <laughs> Suspiria kind of like lulls you into it, you know, like like just eases you into how weird it's going to get. And that's a movie that starts pretty weird, to be clear. Yeah. (laughs) That's a movie where someone is transported, someone is teleported by a like cut because that's how movies can work is if you decide movies can work that way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, House just like doesn't care. It's just... A man says, how And then, you know, it's fucking off to the races. You yeah. know. <laughs> Kung Fu can do, like... <laughs> I can't remember the term. Like, um, the, like, wire-foo-style stuff? Yeah, exactly. Like, she can do that because she's a character named Kung Fu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and does have a, like, Kung Fu fight with the ghost that is the, the ghost of the auntie slash... Um, gorgeous. And then, what ends up back in the <laughs> in the how I don't even remember exactly how it works. There's a part where she's just legs and kicks the painting of the cat, which they think is gonna fix it, but it doesn't. Um, she gets she gets <laughs> eaten by a light fixture. Yeah, but 
she wrestles her way out of the light fixture just enough so that her legs are still somehow corporeal and kick this painting of the cat, which makes the house start bleeding. <laughs> yeah. Um. Great fucking movie. <laughs> Love it so much. Um. Best we- fucking movie ever made. Do we have more to say, or do we want to rate the stairwell? Um, no. Let's just—it's a—it's a fucking s. We don't need to talk about yeah. this. I mean, I, it's, I, I, it's the one in the house. There's multiple scenes on it, but it is the one where the the blood from the cat painting is filling up the house, um, and uh, fantasy is yeah. like fucking on the tight, like on the board from the Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like a tatami mat that is like risen up and she's like riding as a raft um, and then mm-hmm. goes to the stairs and uh, tears at like trying to get off the raft. The the shirt of the ghost auntie slash gorgeous. Um, and then, yeah, has the, the very homoerotic scene of, ah, it's all okay. I'm with you now, gorgeous. Mommy, gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> um. It's great. And that that's good. that's like the big scene with it, but that stairwell shows up multiple times. It's like oh, a yeah. centerpiece of the house. Um So I'll put in an S. We got some good stairs. Uh do we have any questions? Uh we do from Joao. Uh I'm writing a tweet and then um uh, I will. Um... I'm just shaking my head. <laughs> just putting in a mark here so I can cut all the silence. <laughs> if I had the email, I could just start reading it and vamp that way. But meow meow. Instead, I just have to wait for you to tweet. Let me read your tweet. Um. <laughs> Joe sent in a good email for once. For once. Are you sending it to me? Oh, no. Sorry. I didn't think about it. Um. (laughs) (laughs) You were just reading it in silence? (laughs) You said you were going to read my tweet, so I was just going to read his email after you, like, confirmed to me that you had read the tweet. (laughs) (laughs) This is a great podcast. Doing a great job here. (laughs) Schwoz <laughs> asks what is your favorite movie poster parentheses autumn please look at every possible poster for Hausu uh, <laughs> which I will do um, IMDB usually has this right like IMDB um, usually probably Let me look I don't know up. letterboxd might I don't know um, one thing is like, let me, so a lot of, um, in Poland, they would, there's like a specific style for, for film posters for a while. Um, and so even if it was like a, a film from another country or something that would come over, um, it would often be done in this like very graphic style. A lot of those posters are, are incredible, um, let me let me like uh, see if there's one that particularly stands out to me. 
So the one I'm most familiar with for Hausu, uh, and I do have some answers for favorite movie posters, but um, I just want to talk about Hausu for a second. The one I'm familiar with is like the the orange cat painting one um, that is like on this uh, Criterion DVD. That's good. I definitely don't like it near as much as I like the one, like the theatrical poster, which is House with the O having teeth. Yeah. And then there is a, like, green shot of the house surrounded by flames and then the cat standing on a pedestal. <laughs> um, then there are, of course, like, some various, like, artist renditions that I'm seeing here. I'm trying to find, like, actual, like, official ones. Because, of course, there are a lot of great uh, artist renditions. Like, a lot of, you know... A lot of people have done a lot of really good art of it, but I just want to see, like, stuff that is actually tied to, like, releases of the film. Yeah. <clears throat> um, God, I'm, I'm looking at, like, just a list of some of the Polish ones. Um, the... <clears throat> oh, I have something I need to show you later. Here, let me, let me send this. Um, the one on the right is the Polish poster for 1954 oh, Godzilla. Hell yes. Um, that's just a really fucking good poster. Um, yeah, yeah. You got the Polish poster for uh, Godzilla here. Uh, if listeners want to Google that, yeah. Um, 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 favorite movie posters. Um, I feel very strongly about one of my favorite movie posters of all time because i love the the period of american filmmaking where um like printers are getting better but not good enough that you can just mass produce like like photos of like actors um and so like one of the last great hurrahs of this because i think like i think about like by terminator in like 1982 like that's just a photo of arnold's face you know um one of the last big moments of like this like really high detail paintings of actors faces is like star wars um and specifically I don't love the one where, like, Luke's shirt is falling off and he's doing, like, he's holding the lightsaber up like it's a Conan poster. I like the one where it's Luke pointing his blaster right at you, the, um, like, the audience. Um, I I just adore that one. Um, uh, like, there's a, I think there's a very good reason why, you know, so many movie posters get, like, you know, transformed and modified as they are, like, exported, like, that one, I remember, like, I've just seen that poster with, like, different languages on it, but they just keep that poster the same, because I think that's a great poster. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I'm going to send a couple other Polish ones. Um, so this one, it's not even for a, a film I care about. It's some uh, Spanish-Italian film called Three Fables of Love, but that's just a fantastic poster. Um, oh, my God. And then um, 
This one is really cool. It's for a Swedish film called The Great Adventure, but this is also a Polish, the Polish poster for it. Uh, let me send this over. Um, this is just a great poster. Look at that. That's fucking incredible. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, that's so good. You know what? The other one that I think about as I think about, you know, this exact like moment in time is like you can do really good paintings of people, but you still can't just print photos of people. Blade Runner, classic of this thing oh, that I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah, Blade Runner is uh, really good. Um, uh, to it is the only only time in my entire life where I have owned a paperback of a book that had the movie cover on it, and I didn't resent it for that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, even though Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep may as well be a different story. Blade Runner may as well not like credit Philip K. Dick because it is such a different thing. <laughs> oh my god. Can I get a good Let me see if is this gonna sound okay? It's not like the best image of it. This is apparently the Polish poster for Midnight Cowboy. Fantastic oh, no. fucking poster. I'm I'm Oh, this is good. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, I feel like a lot of mine are... These Polish posters are just, like, extremely my shit. Um, mm-hmm. I... Wait, is this... <laughs> this is Raiders of the Lost Ark Polish poster. I'm just sending this to you. Raiders of the Lost Ark got a good poster. That's my cat boy better... right there. <laughs> <laughs> This Raiders of the Lost Ark Polish poster is better than, you know, the classic Raiders of the Lost Ark poster. Yeah. Um, there. Okay, so I was looking for um, Night of the Hunter because I remember the like the the original like poster for Night of the Hunter is one that I really like. I don't know that it's one of my favorites. Now that I'm looking at it again, I think I have some like quibbles with it, but um, it is reminding me that like. In the early 2010s, there was this huge trend of like, oh, like you could every week somebody went viral because they did art of like minimalist posters for um, movies. Like I remember the first one I saw was just like a poster for Reservoir Dogs that just said Reservoir Dogs and had like a minimalist portrayal of an ear cut off. You know, I hate every single one of those. I want movie posters to be like filled with bullshit. I want to know everybody's name. I want to know who produced this. I want to know who executive produced this. And more importantly, I want fucking images in the movie poster. I'm not going to watch Reservoir Dogs just because you told me it had a cut-off ear in it. You know? I'm going to watch Reservoir Dogs because I see a poster where it's like 12 guys in suits and one of them is like covered in blood or something. You know? Uh, Reservoir Dogs does not have any good posters, but you know. Um, I'm now looking up if they're just because I brought it up earlier. Belladonna of sadness posters. These are fucking incredible. Um, just look at this shit. Uh, let me send this over. Oh my god! Look at that. It's fucking. There's great. also. <laughs> There's a weird thing where almost across the board, um, 
Criterion Collection, like, when Criterion puts out a movie, they'll put out, like, a really good cover for it um, that almost across the board I don't like as much as, like, whatever the theatrical poster for it was, you know? Yeah. (laughs) My favorite example of this is um, actually that, um, here, let me see if I can find this. Uh, Badlands. Because the original, like, poster for Badlands, the Martin Sheen movie, is just incredible. Um, one of my absolute favorites. Um, and then the Criterion release of it is kind of the exact thing I'm talking about, where it's, like, paintings of people, but I think it looks hideous. (laughs) Um... I did see this one, and I'm just going to send it over. Oh, yeah, that is hideous. Um, (laughs) This is the Polish poster for Badlands. (laughs) Oh, sick. That's what that movie's about. Yeah. Um, Uh, I just wanted to send that over because I I literally just saw it while I was looking at Polish posters for movies. Um, We should watch Badlands. That's a good movie. I've never seen it. It's a good movie. It's the only uh, Terrence Malick I've seen. People are probably yelling at their computers to watch. Uh, yeah, for I have me not... to watch Tree of Life right now, but those people are nerds. I have also not seen much Terrence Malick, so um, sorry, sorry, listeners. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, I'm sure Tree of Life is lovely. Yeah. Do you have any other questions, or was it just Juo this time? I think it was just Juo this time. Let me double check, but I believe it was just Juo. Um, mm-hmm. We got some questions about speakers for export audio. We got a cat people question we answered last time. Oh, Nora asks, what's your favorite heterosexual couple in a film? My favorite heterosexual couple in a film. Uh, <laughs> uh, shit. Uh, well, it, uh, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek in <laughs> Badlands. That's a bad couple. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, of movies that we've watched so far on the podcast, um, the Bruno Gonson and the lady in Wings of Desire. The Himmel Uwe Berlin, I feel like, was the the one where. Um, oh yeah, that those those two really work for me for sure. Yeah. Um, I have a shit post answer that I will not explain. Um, Luke Skywalker and Lando Calrissian. <laughs> but they're lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> they are. <laughs> I just trying to like th- this is a this is a uh illustration of how late it's getting to be. Um I was like let me try and think of some other like straight couples in film. So I googled straight couples in film. That's an extremely unhelpful Google search. <laughs> um, sometimes I th- sometimes I think about that. Sometimes I think about like 
um i am very lucky to work at a place where there are a lot of queer people um and where (laughs) over time as i have like you know started to quote unquote pass more like my queerness does not feel like as constantly under scrutiny at work um as it does for most people i imagine um and then i come home and every every single one of my friends like outside of work is gay um to where i don't <laughs> sometimes i forget <laughs> that like <laughs> not everybody lives this life you know like sometimes i forget that straight people like have feelings <laughs> yeah <laughs> um this is why i keep uh connor around he keeps me grounded he reminds me that straight people exist <laughs> um yeah i i don't the thing is i bet if i like really sat with it i would be able to like be like oh here are a bunch of straight couples that i enjoy but um man this this not on any not in any films that we've watched oh no they're not a couple. I was about to say In the Mood for Love, and then I remembered what In the Mood for Love's about. Yeah. I briefly thought about that, and I was like, mm. oh, why don't I... I'm pulling up the our, like, <laughs> spreadsheet of... Um... Uh, I don't... Man. <laughs> I'm sure the listeners are loving this. (laughs) Like, I thought about Noi Abanoi, and I was like, well, no, I just think that she's cute. I don't think that they're a good couple. I don't like them as a couple. Um, And then Dark Horse, I I thought the same thing, and I was like, no, the guy in that sucks so bad. (laughs) He sucks so bad. Um, She's cool. He fucking sucks. That's what that movie is about, is that he's a a little man-child and he needs to fucking grow up. Probably the heterosexual couple in film that I'm most personally invested in is Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst. I don't know that, like, they're a good couple. I, they're just one that I care about a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> I guess the guy and girl in, in Pale Flower, maybe? No. No, they're wretched. No. Yeah, they're, they're wretched. both terrible. But they're both terrible, and so that's why I like it. <laughs> um i was gonna say the like oh the guy that um she loves in millennium actress but i don't fucking remember his name so uh and that's to me not what that movie's about i i actually i actually have an answer for this and it's nicole kidman and ewan mcgregor in moulin rouge um i love that movie with my whole entire heart um now, now, now. Granted, um, if we if we ever cover Moulin Rouge for this podcast, which I don't think we will, I am gonna show up and say that Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor are T for T in that movie. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm mostly just bullshitting. I, I I mostly just think they're straight people. <laughs> um, but I want them to be T for T, and so they are. <laughs> Oh, I know. I know who it is. Hmm. Um, Roger Rabbit and Jessica Rabbit. 
<laughs> it's just a, a hot lady who loves her funny little man. <laughs> it's honestly one of the the healthiest relationships I've ever seen in a movie with straight people. <laughs> um, her name's Jessica Rabbit, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. I was like, I remember that it's just like a normal woman in woman's name and then rabbit (laughs) they love each other she just loves her goofy little funny little man he's just a funny little guy and she loves him this is kind of a Um, joke answer but also kind of not (laughs) (laughs) this is the best that straight people could hope for I feel like um yeah is that it I think that's everything. Uh, so if people want to write in, they can write into export audio podcast at gmail.com. Um, if yep. you go to exportaudio slash stairwell quality, you can look at how we've rated stuff on the podcast and see what we're watching next. Um, I say this in part because we are watching suicide circle next, but uh, we'll be recording it in like, two days after this episode comes out so um, at some point we moved from at some point we switched from like deciding things on the fly to like planning things like seven <laughs> weeks out and i don't know when that happened um but it has made export odd.io slash stairwell quality even more useful for listeners yeah also uh, i i remember when it happened and it's when um, I picked City of God, and you talked about how you hadn't seen Itumama Tambien, and I was like, well, we should just do it next, and you did that, and then I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll do Hibari no Mori no Ishimatsu next, because um, mm-hmm. I want to get back to Yakuza films, and then we were like, oh, well, it's horror movies after that, um, and then we filled all those in, so that's how it happened. <laughs> okay. Um, at some point we, at some point the spreadsheet's going to get too big and unusable. So I'm making a second sheet called 2022, um, for when we get there. Yeah. Fair. Um, but yeah, uh, where can people find you online? You can find me at FoxMomNia on Twitter. Um, you can also follow me at Garfred Aloud, which I haven't been updating much lately just cause stuff has been weird. Um, it was a lot of sickness and then, I don't know, my, my like energy levels have been low since I've just been tired. Um, and also I've been like trying to do stuff when I would normally record. So it'll be yeah. back. It's coming back. Yeah, sorry to all who miss it. Uh, you find me on Twitter at Atomo underscore Coffee. Uh, all the other podcasts at exportaud.io. I don't want to do the whole plug plug spiel because it's almost one a.m. So yeah, go listen uh, to Ghost Divers when this episode comes out. Uh, just a few God. days ago, there was the question bucket that you were on. Please go listen to Ghost Divers. It, okay, even if you. Don't I, really I, care about Ray Earth. I still think it's worth listening to the question bucket for Ray Earth. But also, you should listen to the Ray Earth episodes and watch it because I love that show. I love the episodes we did about Ray Earth. I love them a lot. I have not been like 
pouring like my full heart into plugging all the rare earth ghost divers because like either i feel like either you're gonna say you're a ghost divers fan or you're a rare earth fan you're gonna jump on in the first episode uh or you're not going to do that (laughs) i don't feel like anybody is just like just listening i don't anyway even if you don't care about rare Please listen to um, the question bucket episode of Rare Earth because uh, of Ghost Divers about Rare Earth because it is fully me just ex- like even even before I got there because y'all had been recording for like thirty or forty five minutes before I showed up um, <laughs> and y'all were already heading in this direction before I got there but it is the full like export audioification of Ghost Divers <laughs> yeah it is I- fully. Just like, what if we fucked around instead of doing the thing we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> yeah, I went into it. Like, I said to Connor, and I don't think Connor listens to Export Audio, but I was just like, this is just going to be an Export Audio episode of Ghost Divers. That's just my plan for this, because mm-hmm. um, sometimes I feel like we get to the question bucket and we still have, like, things that we want to say to summarize the series as a whole. Mm-hmm. I did not feel that with Ray Earth. I felt like we had done it in the episodes that we did. Um yes. And so it was just like, let's just have fun answering these questions. Um, and let's just like have fun goofing off. Um, and I think it went really we well. We did. Also, it's a really fun episode. Do you know what the, the name of the episode is? Because I, the question buckets are the only ones that I title. What, do you, what did you call it? Uh, so it's question bucket. Ferio is really excited to be dating a bi girl now so he can get Chick fil A again. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah we've had some good our Ava question bucket was LCL is just gamer girl bathwater if you really think about it um, that's just true um, Do you, one, I, lo- I love that one because you were texting me you're like oh I can't wait for people to get mad about this episode title and no one did because <laughs> yes. it's like yeah okay yeah yeah it is that's true um, I think my favorite one that we've had so far was the first ghost divers that you guested on which is the question bucket for Camardi high school an anime that you did not watch no. um <laughs> and uh the, the title of the question bucket is kissing the homies goodnight or gf stands for guardian phobotomy <laughs> um anyway you should just join all of our question buckets this is just I what should. you should do i should do that um it's a dumb episode. It's a <laughs> spectacularly dumb episode. Um, I just join in the middle of Connor's like saying something and just start talking over the over him. <laughs> Stupid. Yeah. It's <laughs> also a mukbang po- podcast at one point. We're at multiple points. Um, what? When did that happen? Oh, no, I think you're right. There's the beer review. There's also, before you joined, I ate a pumpkin pond from a Japanese bakery and reviewed it on air, so. um. Oh, okay. I think I maybe didn't know what mukbang was until I Googled it just now. Yes, this is a mukbang mukbang podcast. (laughs) I could have reviewed that weed. You could have. You didn't. I should (laughs) have. Um... So yeah, what are you, what are you up to? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, well, it's one a.m. and I have to. 
I'm like getting up a little early tomorrow. Um, so I, I would just like play this out for another 30 minutes, but I am going to try and wake up a little early tomorrow. So we should wrap it. <laughs> yeah. You I'm going to try and make, um, I'm going to try and make chicken stock in the morning. So. Oh, that sounds good. I'm going to, I'm going to put it on and let it simmer and have Nora like take it off the heat at some point while I'm at work. So I have yeah. to like get it going so that it can just sit there for a few hours while I'm at work. Yeah. Um, um, that sounds good. Yeah. And then you're going to like make the tortilla soup with it or something. Yeah. Yeah. Got to find the time, but yeah. the, making the stock is like the hard part. Everything else is just, making the tortilla soup is like time consuming but it's not difficult at all yeah so um <sighs> yeah when are you getting up tomorrow uh i i work at seven so hmm. um i work from home so i kind of just roll out of bed at like six fifty most days and just get dressed and clock in maybe i'll set my alarm for like seven then and if i'm not up you can like pester me or something i mean yeah. i keep my phone on silent there's no way that you're going to wake me up if i uh don't get up with my alarm so i mind. just remembered that before i go to bed um i need to like process our csa box that we got or our community supported agriculture box um because emily just decided to go to bed and not do it so <laughs> that'll, that'll be a thing before i get to sleep Okakoro is real. Okakoro is real. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid podcast.
Hello, it is Christmas time and I'm sitting here by my TV. I've been watching it very much lately because I'm on a holiday and I've been seeing all those programs about all sorts of things, about Icelandics being very uh, happy about Christmas, very gay and also very serious and spiritual and also seeing Icelandic uh, comic people making jokes, which they are very good at. But now I'm curious. I've, I've, I've switched the t TV off and now I want to see how it operates. How it, how it can, can make, put me into all those weird situations. So, it's about time. This is what it looks like. Look at this. This looks like a city, like a little model of a city. And all the houses which are here, and streets. This is maybe an elevator to go up, up there. And here are all the wires, these wires. They really take care, take care of all the electrons when they come through here. They, they, they take care of that they are powerful enough to get all the way through here. I read that in a Danish book this morning. And this beautiful television has put me, like I said before, in all sorts of situations. I remember being very scared to it because an Icelandic poet told me that not like in cinemas where um, the thing that, that um, throws the, the picture from it, uh, just sends lights on the screen. But, but this is different. This is uh, millions and millions of little screens who, who send uh, light on you, um, some sort of uh, uh, electrical light, I'm not really sure. But because there's so many of them, and in fact, you're watching very, very many frames when you're watching TV. You, your head is very busy all the time to, to um, calculate and put it all together into one picture. And, and then, because you're so busy doing that, you don't watch very carefully what, what the program that you're watching is really about. So you become hypnotized. So all that's on TV, it just goes directly into your brain and you stop judging if it's right or not. So you just swallow and swallow. This is what an Icelandic poet told me once. And I became so scared to television that I always got headaches when I watched it. But then later on, when I got my Danish book on television, I stopped being afraid because I, I read the truth. And that's um, the scientific truth, which is much better. You shouldn't let poets lie to you.